How many steps do you take before you have foot pain? Hi, it's Jonathan Cotton with the Good Feet Store, and the truth is, the battle between our feet and the concrete or asphalt usually winds up with our feet losing. Studies show that about 75% of people will experience some kind of foot pain by middle age. I found that out a number of years ago with plantar fasciitis, and I tried to remedy it with shoes and drugstore cushions that didn't work. Finally, I went to the Good Feet Store, was personally fitted for arch supports, and I loved them so much, I bought the store. Without a plan to protect and support your feet, it is likely you could one day be one of the millions living with chronic foot pain. Don't wait until pain demands that you visit us. Stop by the Good Feet Store today and let one of our trained arch support specialists fit you with your personal system of arch supports. The Good Feet Store is located in Fairfax, Leesburg, Rockville, Baltimore and Hunt Valley, and in Annapolis in the Annapolis Harbor Center. For more information, go to goodfeet.com. And welcome once again to an episode of the AFA Podcast, the official podcast for animationsforadults.com. And welcome to episode 73. My name is Rachel, and to joining me today are Chris. Hello. And Dan. Hello. How are you guys doing this week? All right. How are you? <laughs> In today's episode, we are going to be taking a look at the 1995 film, uh, anime film, Ghost in the Shell, since its uh, quote-unquote live-action counterpart has been gaining a bit of a mixed reputation, so we figured that while at this point, I don't believe any of us have had an opportunity to actually see the film, the live-action adaptation, as of yet, uh, I we are... Chance, but I, I didn't want to take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, part of the reason that is, is because of the fact that the original Ghost in the Shell, um, Mamoru Oshii's Ghost in the Shell is such a well-renowned and beloved film. So we are going to take today's episode to kind of go in more of an in-depth discussion about why this film is so beloved by so many, including, you know, ourselves included. Um, I will admit I have not had much of an experience with the film other than like one or two viewings. Um, as far as, you know, Chris has explained to me, he has seen the film and he's also uh, familiar with the animated series that have spun off as a regard, you know, spun off the film. And, Dan, you also have a bit more of a history with Ghost in the Shell? Yeah, same thing as Chris, really. Just, like, love the TV show, like the second movie. I don't think I've seen anything made after the second season of Standalone Complex, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I've not seen, like, I think it's called The New Movie, and then they did Arise. I've not seen any of those. Okay. So kind of a bit mix of a uh, bit of mix of knowledge in regards to the this particular film and the franchise that kind of spun off from it. So we're going to go into that as our main topic for today, and I'm really looking forward to having a bit of a you know multiple different perspectives on the uh, film. 
But before we get into that, we're going to get into a couple of uh, news stories that have been kind of breaking through the web uh, that are we're really eager to talk about. One, uh, the one we're going to start off with is a bit of a controversial topic in uh, regards to the uh, Academy Awards and uh, how they're planning on, I believe it was as judging the uh, in regards to films and, and particularly animated films. Judging it's, is definitely the word. Well... We've talked about before how how the um, best animated feature award at the Oscars hasn't all you know they haven't always had the best reputation of picking the actual winner that you might pick because it's basically always been a Disney film or a Pixar film more often than not like nine out of the last ten years or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But we've said the actual nominees have always have actually been much better than that, and we've seen lots of films like um, Song of the Sea, My Life as a Courgette, Boy in the World, M- When Marnie Was There, things like that be nominated that people wouldn't necessarily have heard of otherwise, uh, mm. because they've been nominated by uh, members of the Academy who are animators or involved in animation, and we've always got oh, isn't that good? The only problem is that Disney always win. I wish they'd sort that out. But the Academy decided they looked at it and they thought, you know what's wrong here? Is the fact that we keep nominating all these small films and stuff rather than the big, big um, Hollywood CG behemoths and everything. Why aren't we nominating all the DreamWorks and Blue Sky films and everything? Uh, Because what they've decided is... Apparently they thought that the animators had a bit of a bias towards traditional and independent films, and so are they so they are opening the opening the pool of people who can apply to nominate this category to the wider academy in an effort to try and diversify. Diversify. Commercialize. Diversify by homogenize. It's yeah. It's so oh. ridiculous that that they've chosen this category, like the, this category, to come down on because I, know. I mean, no one. Why? Why? The the worst thing you can say is, oh, I've never heard of that film, and I'm not going to watch it. That's what, but it's no skin off the teeth of Zootopia for, um, you know, My Life as a Courgette to be nominated. There's no skin off that, move, that movie's teeth in terms of, uh, like, box office or recognition or anything like that. Because they're Disney. They have nothing to worry about. But for smaller studios and smaller movies, um, especially independent productions, um, they really, really uh, benefit mm-hmm. from from the, these sorts of uh, nominations. Like, for instance, the, the recognition that Cartoon Saloon has got from yeah. all of its nominations um, is is pretty invaluable. Um, and the same obviously goes for, like, much smaller things like My Life as a uh, Courgette or... or But the, the thing about it that just pisses me off, frankly, is that it's not about appreciating it. It's it's well, it's the Oscars up to their usual bullshit. Frankly, mm-hmm. it's I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to say. It's just sad. It's just sad. It it really comes like you said, like we were saying earlier. It really, I think, it comes down to it's not it's not diversifying. That is that is not the word that is 
best suited for the situation is it's commercializing because they only want it's it sounds like they're just want to have a, a better find a way to better promote or yeah. promote even further films that are already doing super successful they're from bigger studios or you know like you said no you know no skin off the teeth but when you know and kind of just kind of glossing over these other films just because oh we've never heard of these films or this studio why would we want to see that over any of these like bigger studios like isn't that why we come to the oscars to find out I, like I, isn't that yeah. what the whole purpose is to be celebrating film of all types regardless of how big they are i mean no one says that about the foreign language film exactly. category no one says it about the the main like best picture category they don't give it to Mm. Avengers. <laughs> no, <laughs> they give it to you know prestige films. Yeah, they. But animation, animation isn't real films, so it doesn't count. I mean, apparently, uh, according to the Academy. But the, the, okay, so so basically, um, the the argument I've seen about this is that the in 2014, um, Lego Movie. This is all about Lego the, Movie. The, yeah, the movie. <laughs> I remember this conversation. <laughs> The, the Lego movie was supposedly snubbed. Um, the other movies were better. But all the other movies... Okay, maybe, what other movies maybe, were there? Were, were, um, this is the year Song of the Sea was nominated. Song of the um, Sea with Princess Kaguya. Yep. Um, um, How to Train Your Dragon 2. Yep, Box Trolls. Yep. And Song of the Sea. And Big Hero 6 won. Yeah, maybe Big Hero 6 wasn't the best one, but... <laughs> But that didn't happen because it was nominated at the Oscars. It ha- it happened because it was probably the biggest movie, aside from probably How to Train Dragon Two that year, mm-hmm. in terms of like general um, audiences um, and uh, uh, encounters with animation. And and it was um, it was just it was like the year that Frozen won. Mm. Um, it's very insightful to read the um, anonymous. Um, Oscar voter things that Variety, I think, all Hollywood Reporter ways put out every year, um, and some of them are just like, yeah, you know, I think my kid liked Frozen, but I walked out halfway through to take some calls, and I didn't see the rest of the things, and there was some Chinese one, I don't know. Uh, yeah, Frozen, why not? I've seen the most posters for that round. It's it's not. Now like that's they, lame. I'm only going to vote for this because it's pop. Everyone else is saying it's good. Like, well, I, 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 see I, the darn I, film. I'd say it's a trade, right? They're allowed to change the category, obviously, because they're the Academy and it's their awards and whatever and all the rest of it. But take the category seriously. Mm-hmm. If, yeah. if, if, if you're going to, from now on, say, okay, we're not going to have any Red Turtles or My Life is Zucchini, Zucchinis or um, Boy in the World, all right, fine. All right, we'll enjoy those movies just fine without the Oscars. Uh-huh. Um but actually take them seriously like watch all the movies and and actually you know when disney puts out a film which is not as good as one which you know is is um is international then then admit it and take it as seriously as you would you know the sound editing uh uh category mm-hmm. frankly which everyone you know uh, I don't, I don't really see the problem here, other than just the commercialization of it. It's so, it's so, just us backwards. It's just, oh, I'm so angry. 
I don't understand where the bias is because if you look at the last, um, the the last few nominees, right? The only non CG nominee, uh, the, on, the only non sorry winners, the only non CG winners were Spirited Away, Wallace and Gromit. Uh, oh, that's it. The rest have been CG. Just those two. Yeah. This is special. And Wallace and Gromit were. Um, let's see. Yep. Yep. They were the only um, non-CG winners. The suspicion is that this is co- is coming from pressure from the other animation studio majors like DreamWorks and uh, Universal and um, mm-hmm. and Warner Brothers, who are like, we're, we're our nominations. We're not getting nominations because of these stupid little foreign films. What's going on? And it's like, well. You're going to put out stuff like The Boss Baby, and that's going to get nominated now. I mean, you should just make a good movie. Well, <laughs> it's not... It's, the thing is, like, there's a place for The Boss Baby, right? There's a place for it next to all the other brilliant um, uh, audience movies that that don't get nominated at the Oscars, like the Fast and the Furious movies. Yeah, um, like, you don't see them, you don't see that in the Oscars. It's like it, it's, that's what it is. It's, it's, so, it's fun. It's not. It's, it's not pushing art forward. It is just a fun film. So it's safe to say we're a little bit not chuffed to hear yeah. this news. <laughs> no, yeah, as, as you can obviously hear, we're really this is left us. I mean, we've already we've expressed in past episodes that we've had some issues about the way the Oscars um, or the Academy has handled uh, animated films in the past and this, you know, this news is kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back I think for us. It's really, it's really disappointing um, from uh, you know, behaviour from the Academy because in the past few years they've really done a lot for um, independent animation I think and, mm-hmm. and for asking audiences to, to look outside of um of US produced CG uh, big family movies to what animation can be um, I think a lot of that has it, you know you, you can joke about the Oscars and you know say ah, the Academy up to the old nonsense but the fact is that they are influential mm-hmm. and um, yeah it's just a shame and I hope that the, I just hope it doesn't last really because there, there aren't going to be as many nominees for one Definitely, it's it's it's, it's going to be a much smaller category, and I think once I mean, they you, hopefully you, once they realize that they're like, oh darn it, well that was a mistake, but that that could be me just being too much of an optimist. You, t- you yeah, I, you take the average Oscar voter, right, and they'd be hard pressed to name more than four animated movies anyway in a given mm-hmm. year. So it's just rename the Disney category and you know give up all pretensions. <laughs> The thing is, though, this year is is the year like when perhaps I was thinking, oh, maybe an independent one could do it because the Hollywood um, mainstream studios thing is so mediocre this year. You know, with with like um, Boss Baby and, and Emoji Movie and Captain Underpants and Despicable Me Three and and Cars. It's like there's only like Coco that looks like it's going to be any good. <laughs> and it's like. I know they're all going to be nominated now. <sighs> uh huh. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. 
who knows? Like, I don't know how the um, the academy, like, when in terms of making these decisions, I don't know if it, like, maybe if like people get, you know, express their distaste with this decision that maybe they'll rescind it or not. But it's you never know with this in this day and age of what you know people will listen or not listen to. Mm-hmm. I know. I want things for sure. If this if this uh, decision stands, I will no longer have a reason to watch the Oscars. So mm-hmm. it'll be just the Annies for me. Yeah. Go Annie's. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, moving along into an uh, to another uh, story about a film that uh, foreign film that is actually doing relatively well for itself. I mean, we've discussed it multiple times. Is uh, Your Name uh, came out in the U.S. I think it was this past weekend, and as far as we've looked at the numbers from its opening weekend, it's done pretty good for itself. Um, I believe the numbers after its first weekend were about 600,000 from uh, just under 300 theaters. And uh, I think it was like, I think it made about uh, 1.6 million for that opening overall opening weekend. So not too mm-hmm. bad, all things considered. But I don't think it's been, it was as, wasn't as big of a boon as it had in other countries that it was released in. No, um, but it isn't as wide as it's been in other countries. And because... Mm-hmm. And it hasn't got like the name instant name recognition of because Funimation released like the Dragon Ball Z movie Resurrection F and they made like four million in in the same sort of space of time. But you know mm-hmm. that's a Dragon Ball movie, so yeah. Everyone, everyone who's even remotely familiar with anime, you know Japanese animation, knows the name Dragon Ball. So they um, had that going for them. I mean, this has had a lot of positive reviews to everything but it hasn't got anywhere near the yeah it's the still art house yeah mm-hmm. so it's it's pretty good really no yeah and um how long was the uh limited screening supposed to go till chris well i think that there is on ongoing i think uh mm-hmm. if you check check the website and see if it's still screening somewhere near you but they it, they this was just like the opening weekend, so there's still yeah. still chance for it to make more. Yeah, we'll see how it that shapes up later on. Uh, later on, as we'll keep an eye on the film and see how it does, and uh, see we'll definitely keep an eye on the film and see how it progresses through the end of its limited run. Um, but speaking of other uh, movies, or the specifically in the TV realm. Uh, interesting news broke out, I think it was this past week, um, Invader Zim might be returning in a, uh, televised, you know, televised only, uh, film, uh, because I think it was only a one season series that I forget when it got, uh, back in the early 2000s, I believe, and it got, I think it was taken off the air, really, only just after that first season, but it's had a very, very loyal, diehard fan base, uh, you know, ever, you know, ever since it uh, went off the air, and at long last, fans can rejoice because it looks like they're going to be bringing back a majority, or at least the main the main two cast members of uh, Invader Zim and Gurr, and the original creator is going to be coming back to do this uh, film. Though I think it it was in a more of a limited capacity. I don't think he was actually directing the film. He was just going to be involved. But yeah, they've. Uh, it's been uh, interesting. I think the rumors are, uh, surrounding this story or this revival for this uh, film has been very kind of off and on. Like people would inquire about it, and uh, 
the creator, um, I forget how, I, hopefully I can pronounce his name, uh, Yonan Vesquez, I believe, forgive me if I butchered that, um, has been very kind of like dodging these rumors, so, you know, denying, well, pretty much denying them, saying that this is not something that's happening, and then, lo and behold, now it's finally been stated, uh, it's, yeah, it is actually happening, and they even have a very short, uh, video accompanying this, uh, announcement where we hear the voices of both, uh, Invader Zim and Gurr, uh, basically announcing their comeback, and it's, if, for people who are from, relatively familiar with the show, you, you'll find it very funny. It is very much the same vein as the uh, humor as the show, and it's, uh, it's gonna be interesting to see that come back. I was gonna say, I have no opinion. Because <laughs> I, I haven't watched it. And so yeah, I, I don't really have anything to offer, I'm afraid. Uh, I do know that um, our, our lovely social media manager, Denery, is very excited about it. So I know, yes, I know there's indeed. people out there who are excited about this news, like with all these Nickelodeon revivals that I don't really. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting that this is like after, especially after the announcement of the um, the uh, Hey Arnold Jungle movie. Like that's like they have that that's already got fans excited, and now they're kind of following that up with this. Oh, it's in, one, yeah, lots it's... of multiple t- big TV movies regarding like old fan favorite uh, cartoons. There is one I've heard that's coming back that I am excited about, and that's Rocco's Modern Life. Ah, uh, uh, yes. I think that's good old Rocco. T- I think that's getting a TV movie too. So, who knows? At this at this point, it seems like they've got an ongoing trend, and I think that at least as far as you know, not having to invest in doing a whole separate series, I think that making a movie like a short animated movie would actually, by televised movie, would be uh, actually really good for Nickelodeon to kind of bring back a lot of these uh, long, you know, diehard fan bases and just kind of you know say, hey. Remember, you know, we, we we appreciate all your support for those shows. Here, have a have a movie. And I think they're still doing that Nick Toon crossover movie as well at some point. Oh right, about, like, a year ago or something. <laughs> I remember we discussed that all over a year ago, and like, I yeah, I don't think we remember that. I'm feeling very weird about it. <laughs> I and then, yeah, and then, and then from there, we I found out that there was like a. Like live action version of Fairly Odd Parents for some reason. <laughs> that Starring is news to me. Drake, what? Drake and Josh. Oh, I, I'm almost certain we spoke about this. <laughs> I must have blocked it from my memory because I have just that. That's like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was live action Fairly Odd Parents. I remember they did a crossover between Fairly Odd Parents and Jimmy Neutron, but that was. It's called, it's called a Fairly Odd Movie. Grow up, Timmy Turner. <laughs> Timmy Turner, wow. now a 23, must decide whether to grow up or stay in Arrested Development. Are you kidding me? I wish I was. Wow. Um, all oh right. My God. I, didn't, I didn't know. Hang on. I'm just. This is a. This Part, is a pardon, listeners. He's, uh, Dan's doing some. Uh, it's a rabbit hole we don't have time to go down. <laughs> investigating. Yeah, get get lost in your own time on that one. <laughs> <laughs> we have planted the seed of curiosity for those of you who are you have no idea what this is but want to find it out. Now you know if it is if it's existence, so go. From look a strange into it. time called two thousand and eleven. <laughs> <laughs> it was the strangest of times, indeed. A country we no longer know. 
um, what's 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 up? Oh, you mean what's next on the uh, the news <laughs> yeah, list? <sorry>. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll, we'll kind of let that last one hang there. Um, but no, like the uh, the last little bit of news that we don't have a whole lot of really like confirmed information yet. At least I don't think so. At least in, uh, in regards to what it's going to be about, or uh, at least in terms of the focus. But um, there is some news going around that uh, production IG will be pr- uh, producing another Ghost in the Shell anime series, or at least a anime related project. And I think what makes uh, this one in particular, interesting, because we've had, there have been various uh, different uh, series and adaptations um, of Ghost in the Shell, even more, some more, more recent than others. Uh, but I believe that this one in particular is going to be involving a particular individual who is involved in Standalone Complex, one of the more popular uh, anime adaptations, uh, Kenji Kamiyama. So, like I said, my early beginning of this episode, my knowledge of the television series or Ghost in the Shell as a whole is a bit lim- a bit on the limited side. So, uh, if Chris, would you care to elaborate? Okay. Well, at the moment, we don't know whether this is going to be another movie or a a, a TV series or the most recent uh, anime they did, uh, Ghost in the Shell: Arise. Um, was like a prequel reboot thing um, about a younger version of the characters, um, and that was actually released as like like four like movies. Like they yeah. were um, they weren't like full length movies. They were they do this sometimes. They release they you know they do OAVs and stuff in Japan. Yeah, OAVs. Original animation videos. But they sometimes they do them and they give them a run in cinemas first. Um, mm-hmm. a, a film series, but they're like an hour long rather than two hours. And they did that with Ghost in the Shell, and then they re-edited it into a, a TV series as well. Um, but we don't know if this is going to be a continuation of that continuity because they then did a movie called Ghost in the Shell: The New Movie, which was a continuation of Arise. Uh, it's there's yeah we'll get into it but there's lots of different Ghost in the Shell continuities um, I, yeah I completely lost it after um, Arise like trying to keep up with actually I know I think I began to lose it around Ghost in the Shell was it 1.5 well, like, 2.0 2.0 there was like a re-release and they inexplicably inexplicably like, replace a lot of perfectly fine bits of animation <laughs> with, with kind of now very dated CG. I think I might have seen a little bit of that. So we'll we'll obviously we'll get into um, mm. we'll we'll get into that once we get to the main topic. But yeah, that's uh, it's cool to see that we're going to be re- possibly revisiting a. Um, we're still not sure if this which of the two continuities that this uh, particular three or four project is going to be. <laughs> What? I think there's there's uh, oh wait, hang on. There's the manga, the original manga. There's one, one version okay. of Ghost in the Shell. Then there's the um, Ghost in the Shell movie from 1995, the Marimura Oshi movie and its sequel. So that's another continuity. 
Then there's mm. Ghost in the Shell standalone complex, which one series, two series, and then a couple of movies in that continuity. So that's the third one. And then there's Rise. So yeah, it's a lot of different, um, a different, different continuities. And like we this said, is another we one. Have, we don't know if this is a brand new one or if this is going to be tied to any of the other ones that were just mentioned. But at this point, it is a wait and see. So we will uh, definitely keep an eye on how that story develops. And if any new information comes out, we will definitely let all of our uh, listeners and readers know. One other key detail is it's being co-directed by Shinji Aramaki, uh, who is... Aramaki? Yeah, who is recently best known for doing CG stuff. Uh, he he did um, Captain Space Harlock... Uh, Harlock Space Pirate or whatever it's called. Oh, Appleseed movies. As and he well, did the right? Appleseed movies, which are from the same creator as um, Ghost in the Shell. And yeah, so it's possible it could be a CG Ghost in the Shell, which would be different, I suppose. Even though not that keen on those movies he did. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's a wait. Uh, very much a wait and see type story. They haven't released, and as far as we're aware, they haven't released any uh, images or videos, kind of, you know, to let people know what this is going to look like, because it's it's still relatively early on in getting that all set up. So, we'll, like I said, if, if we see anything in regards to that, we'll make sure to let everybody know, because we're here to talk about Ghost in the Shell, and we all, as we, we all really enjoy it, so I think that's a good way to uh, segue right into our main topic. Let's log cube, on. Cube, cube. Let's jack in to the, the cyber net. Let's tap into the net, man. Yeah. Nineties style. Nineties internet. <laughs> Let's CRT this shit up. <laughs> Dial up. Insert futuristic cyber pun here. <laughs> cyber pun. Pun. Aha! Aha! I see what you did there. Yeah. I need to lie down after that one. <laughs> okay. So we're, we're here to talk about a a film that was made in 1995. Yes. And to this day, to this day, ever since like I I had the first opportunity to watch this movie, I this movie I can't. I still am trying to just wrap my head around the fact that this was this did come out in that in 1995 because it every time I see like shots from it, it looks like something that came out well after. Oh really? Yeah, I was really like my first viewing of seeing Ghost in the Shell, which was um, you know Mamoru Ushii's so Ghost in the Shell film, uh, was actually believe it or not about a year or two ago. Um, it was just like a, I was just having a movie night with my boyfriend, and he had 
you know, the DVD of this film. And I was like, oh, I've always heard, you know, talk about this, you know, being one of, like, the quintessential anime films other than Akira. So I figured, you know, why not? I've been meaning to, you know, knock this off my checklist of films, you know, that I've been really wanting to see. So we sat and we watched it. And I was, like I said, uh, from the very first, from the very first scene, I was, you know, I was entranced. I was, it was amazing. Like, I, I it was trying to wrap my brain around the fact, like, like this came out in 1995, right? Really? Are you sure? Mm. This didn't come out in, like, the early 2000s or, like, mid-2000s or anything? Why, why did you think it did? I don't know. There was just something about the, maybe it was the effects animation that was used in that that seemed like it was ahead of its time. Right. So yeah. I mean that that was that was what really impressed me. It looked like it looked it's definitely had its own unique sense of style that was, you know, obviously um you saw a lot in uh kind of like the in the nineties, you know, eighties, nineties of in terms of anime uh style, but it still had like a life you know, a life to it all of its own and a uniqueness that just really just kind of just it was just d- demanded your attention. I and I enjoyed every second of watching it, even if I didn't exactly follow the plot, a hundred percent, the first viewing. Yeah, I think the plot is hard to follow on any number of viewings. <laughs> it's not. It's it's one of those movies which you think it's going to be something, and then it actually turns out that it's something quite different. Like you think um, it's going to be this action sci-fi movie but in fact it plays much more like a sci-fi like novella kind of you're 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 thinking about the themes and the ideas more than you are the story i think mm-hmm. um chris you know about how this came about this movie right yeah um didn't this have something to do with the success of akira basically basically in the mid 90s uh, the big uh, distributor of anime in the UK was Manga Video, as they were then known. Um, and they were, they'd also moved into the US. They'd bought out a local, um, they'd bought out a local um, distributor and moved out there and taken over. Um, and basically, it was all built on the success of Akira. Um, and everyone saw Akira and was blown away. I was like, "Oh my god, this is like nothing I've ever seen before. This is amazing!" And they all wanted, they all wanted to see more like it. So they they set up Manga Video on the basis of that, and they started importing other anime for um, like um, teenage and adult audiences. And uh, the trouble was that after Akira, uh, most of these things weren't um, theatrical releases, but they were like OAV stuff, original video stuff that was done on a fraction of the budget um, and there was sort of the people called it like the Akira effect where everything basically you went from Akira and uh, it's not as good this isn't good this one um, and because <laughs> um, people then watch stuff like Fish of the North Star and stuff which I know people they're fans of and it's incredibly cheesy stuff <laughs> yeah. yeah and uh, the, the yeah the effect also led to things like um, what was that there was a, there was another video that was kind of notorious. Was it called Uritsu? Oh, I don't know how you say it. Uritsu Dodgy Dodgy Dodgy. Yeah. Legend of the Overfiend. 
is the one with all the English title. Legend of the Other Feet, yeah. That's, that's, how, that's how you can pronounce it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I seem to remember, like, once you've burnt through Akira and Fist of the North Star and Ghost of the Shell, you're kind of inevitably left looking at um, Legend of the Overfiend and going, like, all right, I've heard this is, why is this an 18? Uh, let's try it. And, yeah, yeah I, luckily it's um, its reputation preceded it, so I didn't yeah. actually get that far. Um, oh, it's, it's fun. It's, it's definitely fun. So anyway, yeah, so nothing really lived up to Akira and they wanted to um they wanted the next Akira, basically. So they thought why don't we put some money in, do a co production with something? Um and they went out looking for the I don't know the exact next bit of the story. I don't know if the film was in production and they went, Oh well, that looks good or whether they um I don't know what stage they got involved. Um, they were at a bar and they overheard this young Miramuyoshi was there talking about how he wanted talking to, to Masamuni Shibao. Yeah, and they were like, "What's what's this? Did you guys make animation? We got loads of money!" And they all came skipping out the bar, arm in arm, merrily drunk, <laughs> having just made a deal. And uh, next day they got to work. I think that's how it happened. Yeah, sounds about right. Um, but yeah, so they put money into it, um, and that is, they were a co-producer on it. And I do have to wonder if they had any idea what they were getting involved with, because I don't, <laughs> I can't imagine that they were really wanting this philosophical, 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 <laughs> this deep philosophical, philosophical, philosophical. Deep, yeah. deep <laughs> I've just heard you oh, say no, it, and I still can't say it. <laughs> Philosophical. There you go, you got it. <laughs> there was definitely some... Um... <laughs> yeah. There was definitely some, uh, how do you call it, light trolling going on, uh, on, on particularly Oshi's part. He was probably, you know, they were probably asking, Manga were probably, you know, uh, calling them up and saying, hey, how's... Ghost in the Shell coming on and they probably you know sent them some photo stats of some you know some scenes or maybe like a a video and they were like oh well, there's guns and there's action and it certainly looks like the sci-fi epic that we all did uh, notoriously basically they looked at it and said get some tits in it that's what we want we put some tits in it they were, this girl oh, is constant. This, 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 the lady who seems to be our main character seems to constantly be taking off her clothes. I think we're, you know, audiences should like this. Allegedly, that allegedly, was, uh, allegedly, manga, who, who, it should say, are not the same as the current manga entertainment, who are different staff and everything. Um, allegedly, they, yeah, they basically asked for stuff like that in it. But there's um, even philosophy in the tits. It's like yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like existential. Alternative nudity. title for this week's episode. <laughs> that was no. That's great. No, we're keeping that one. Oh man, that gives. I, 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 you see, like it, it's easy to laugh at that, but then it's just like you, you've seen the movie, then you kind of think I was like, 
Yeah, kind of. When it boosts you on screen, you're thinking about, like, I mean, well, depending on how old you are or you know, your sexual preference or age or whatever, you, you're thinking about, you know, oh, what does it mean to, you know, to, to have those in a, on, in a body which is essentially completely artificial and a life which may be artificial? Yeah. Like, what's the point in having perfect boobs? <laughs> I think I think kind of the the art style um, the way it's drawn and everything it makes it feel to me kind of like it's not really sexualized so it's they didn't get what they wanted that's what they (laughs) they wanted perhaps but that's not what it is they want yeah I um I don't really know I, I I wasn't I wasn't thinking about the boobs this time. I probably was when I was about 15 when I first watched it. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow, she's got a kit off and she's jumping off a building. That's badass. Well, speaking speaking as a lady, I mean, even when I watch, you know, animated shows that do put an emphasis on, you know, the the tatas, but... um, (laughs) In, in, you know, in a way, normally, like, you know, obviously, you know, that's not what I come to anime for, but, you know, I can, I'll notice it and still put up with it, but it's, it's, you know, as long as there's something else about the character that's, you know, distracting, or at least, you know, catches your, enough of your attention that, you know, it's, it's not the only thing about them that's interesting, and I was like, in terms of at least, Mako- you know, the, uh, the major's design, the main character, those eyes, man, like, they found a way to make, I mean, that was just, like, such a, I don't think I've ever seen, like, eyes done that way in an animated film quite yeah. like that. Yeah. It's, it's, and since, as well. Mm-hmm. I think, um, they, so basically, Ghost in the Shell was made by a bunch of, like, guys in their, like, late 20s and 30s, um, who had absolutely no business being as talented as they were at that age. Uh, I think um, uh, Hiroyuki Okura uh, did, like, the character design, and he purposefully made, um, uh, particularly the Major, uh, more mature than she appeared in the original comic. Mm, It's very different from the... the Yeah, and they, and they, they purposefully... All of these animators were just... They they were so excited about animation in itself. Um, they really, really... And they, they, were, they were basically, you, you know, they were still students. They were still of that mentality, still trying to learn and still trying to perfect um, their their craft. And they were given the opportunity to, to play with these realistic characters and they absolutely, like, just went for it. It's some of the best, um, like, most anatomically correct animation I think that's ever been in a in a um in a big movie basically yeah one of the um one of the things that like even for uh people who are um aware of anime like they are you know but haven't really like gotten know too much about it like you'll hear a lot of people say like who are relatively familiar it's like oh those that's the animation style where the eyes are just like half the size of the head right well that is very much not the case in this movie. I mean, the eyes are expressive, don't get me wrong. I mean, that's the whole reason why, as far as I'm aware, that's why the eyes are big in the first place. But in this film, it didn't see a need to do that. It was able to find a way to make the characters expressive 
you know, through it, you, just as much through the eyes as through the, you know, the rest of their body language, but, you know, not having to make them seem any bigger than they would be, you know, in terms of, you know, on, on the body itself, which I thought was really, you know, really striking. Hmm. So, um, are we gonna, like, is it, is it worth doing an introduction to this movie? Because for all intents and purposes, there's not much of a story. It's, we're, it's more like we're, we're in a world where, uh, technology has advanced to such a level where people have, um, cyber enhancements mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in their bodies and in their minds. Um, even to the, to the extent where our main character, um, Kusanagi Makoto, is that her name? Yeah, Makoto Kusanagi, I believe, is her full name. Um, AKA the Major. AKA mm. the Major is, um, at the start, we're not too sure who she is or what she is. We know that her body is artificial, but there's a question as to whether her, um, her ghost, which is a, a kind of word to describe, I guess, for the, the the soul of a person, um, their their personhood is we probably their the humanity. Mind. I guess is like what's if, left if of their if humanity. Want, if you want to get Descartian about it, it's the pilot in the ship mm-hmm. uh, to the mind to the body, um, in in philosophical terms, and it's hard not to get philosophical when you're talking about this movie, because essentially it's an art house movie uh, that somehow snuck into what looks like it's uh, a sci-fi action movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are those elements in this movie, definitely, but they are not the focus. They are, they are, they mm-hmm. are the uh, sprinkles on the, uh, on the ice cream. Yeah, the very... Uh, it's more of a meal, I think, than I... Oh, yeah, yeah me, me, the, me. the vegan meal of of ponderous... <laughs> of ponderings, as it were. Yeah. Um, it, so, and and the, the, the main plot kind of begins when um, a sort of... What would you call them? Like a caca, a cyber criminal presence... Begins yes. to threaten um, the security of cyber networks, uh, which people's minds are, now, or many people's minds are, now linked to. Yeah, yeah. It's to the point where this this cyber criminal entity is actually going into the net, going and using it to get into people's brains, and then maybe putting in memories that were never that weren't there originally. Making them believe that they're living this completely other life. Mm-hmm. That's called ghost hacking in the yep in the world. Of- oh god, it's got such a ma- everything about this movie for me. I know what you're saying, Rachel. When you're like, it's it's uh, it looks like it was made about five years ago or something. It for me, it's completely uh, in 1995. Mm. <laughs> all of the all of the graphics and the the just the Dialogue, the, the vocabulary when it comes to, um, uh, you know, computer language, kind of, you know, they, they, they talk about code 
and programs and hacking. And yeah, yeah, that 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 whole aspect of it is definitely part. firmly planted in the 1990s. Like that's I a hundred percent agree with you there. It's, it was I guess it was because the I, I say that it was it seemed ahead of its time in the fact that I don't think I had seen up until I'd seen this film any film anima- animated film that had come out of that era that was as detailed in its animation. Mm. As this film has, as this film was, like it's. I think that's what probably threw me. Yeah, it's certainly unique. It's got a really purposefully uh, realistic style, and it's that word is thrown around a lot when it comes to animation. Um, but there's a sort of like in the background artwork, there's a real sense of like photorealism that they're going for. Mm-hmm. And essentially what is what is doing, which is what animated movies kind of used to be able to do um in this era was be a uh compared to a live action effort, a low budget uh sci fi spectacular. Mm-hmm. Like basically this movie in live action in nineteen ninety five straight up wouldn't have happened because it, it the technology would have been beyond 1995 and the budget would have been extortionate because it essentially asks for an entire new world to be built and um i mean that that said it's it's still uh, watching it last night it did feel um like it had been influenced by the 80s uh particularly i mean blade runner yeah definitely that's one normally when I compare this uh this film to Strangers like that's like the equivalent the best equivalent I can give it's still very much its own entity separate from Blade Runner but it a lot of in terms of I guess the philosophical a part of the philosophical debate is was partially inspired by Blade Runner I think Oh hugely and Blade I mean Blade Runner is the most influential sci-fi movie of the last 30 40 years um I guess Alien and Star Wars permitting Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, it's kind of hard not to make a sci-fi movie in 1995 for it not to be, in some <laughs> way, feeling like a Blade Runner. Um, but that said, I think it's it's pretty unique, really, uh, amongst even other movies in the Ghost in the Shell franchise or, or series. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, I, I don't know. Do you, first up, do you guys like it? Oh yeah! I oh like yeah! I Very much. I am, I am a fan of. Well, I I love the whole, the whole franchise of Ghost and Show. I love all the mm-hmm. concepts, everything like the ghost hacking and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and the, when you get into the TV series, the spider tanks and things like that. And I, I basically yeah. like the whole the whole trappings of the world, and and I also just as an experience the movie. I just remember watching it, you know, as a as an impressionable youth, uh, watching it and like going, <laughs> and really not understanding it, but just like, oh, this yeah. is amazing. And you know that hasn't really changed because, um, yeah, it felt it felt like you were being grown up. Like yeah. watching it was a decision of like I'm going to be grown up and watch a grown up movie, a grown up animation where. You know, there is plenty of blood and boobs and talking about sections and the government and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's uh, it's kind of aspirational, I guess, Mm -hmm. in that sense. 
yeah it was, it was one of these things of not really understanding it but just like but I know it's amazing <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and it just you know and um, it's just so it it's it's not there's nothing else quite like it just like the the fact that they'll just basically be oh, look here's some of the city and some music and we're just gonna spend some time going through that and <laughs> showing with some shot, with some shots of the major and kind of looking that. around on a boat yeah. and here's some amazing animation wow. and it's all amazing and it's like okay <laughs> what oh, it's great <laughs> here's the here's 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 the production process of a, one of those cyber bodies we were talking about, and it's like it's this these very long, I wouldn't say really like exhaustingly long, but just very uh, lengthy portions of just not really no much not so much dialogue, but just more you know scenes going by with more just with musical accompaniment and just like. And each of those scenes, like, are, like, kind of giving, you know, letting, telling us a little bit more about the world or um, maybe kind of, like, helping us, you know, follow along a specific character's story. But it's really, you got you got to dig deep with this movie if you're going to find a lot of that stuff, you know, like, or really, like, understand, like, why the movie's taking that opportunity to kind of slow down. It's interesting yeah. about, about all the discussion surrounding the live-action movie and everything. Um, about how Japanese the story is and everything. When it's it, not set in Japan. That, that's it, what it, I was going to say. I, is I, I, well, it's set in Newport City, which is a not oh. a not real place. Um, Masamune Shirao set lots of his things in Newport City. It's um, uh, Dominion Tank Police. Dominion Tank Police is set in Newport City, but it's not the same. It's not the same. It's not like the Shirao Cinematic Universe or anything, um, but um, Oshi based it on Hong Kong, and they use um, Chinese text um, specifically as it's supposed to be disorientating to the Japanese audience because they can't read it. Yeah, yeah, that's a really cool effect. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it it does feel. Uh, so, so, so it would feel, to use an outdated word, oriental, to a Japanese audience. Well, yeah, something Chinese. <laughs> I don't know what they'd call it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm saying using the old-fashioned word on purpose, yeah. like it's of the of the orient mm-hmm. of of um of a place that's kind of exotic and misunderstood and. I guess that's a really powerful way to talk about the future, as well. I guess I guess that's the, to an extent, I guess that's the Blade Runner influence, where, where you're dealing with what happens when uh, a culture completely overtakes. You know what you? I mean, the, I guess the only culture really in Ghost in the Shell is industrialization, and. And its effects, and I, I mean, one of my favorite things about the movie, which I mean, not to talk too much about the the, the new live action movie, which I haven't seen and probably won't until it's on Netflix or something, um, probably next year. Um, is is that it's it's really um, 
the camera is always very low to the ground, and we're always seeing the world from the point of view of the people who have to live on the ground, and uh, there's lots of trash everywhere, and everything's all scuffed, and it looks kind of sad and warm, and the film is purposefully making you think about the effects of industrialization and um, uh, you, you know what what happens when technology overtakes uh, just things which we would probably otherwise take for granted, like having clean streets and and having enough space as well. Uh, in, in, in which to live and uh, feeling comfortable and not suffocated by our surroundings. There's something very suffocating about these towering buildings and, uh, you know, kind of taking the the, the Hong Kong aesthetic, you know, uh, where there's just signage everywhere and you can't, you can't escape it. I guess, I guess, in an environment like that, the only place to go is inward. Yeah, and that kind of helps, you know, I, I guess in a way, you know, keep the audience, I mean, you're, you're learning more about the world, like you said, and it's also kind of, you, like, also um, steering you more toward, like, okay, this is the kind of world that we're having to deal with, you know, if it's like this, how are our characters reacting to it? What are their thoughts on the world that they live in? And that's kind of, like you said, it directs you back inward. Some more of not just the world in general, but also in the effects that this uh, industrialized technology seems to be having up, but the, how the characters themselves seem to be living with, adapting to, or exist and existing in this world. Yeah, I think one of my personal favorite scenes, I think, out of the film, um, it's, I think it's probably one of the one of the more recognizable scenes, is when uh, the major is going diving. And uh, I love the conversation, like not only just the uh, imagery of her, you know, performing, you know, in the doing the dive, but also um, the conversation that she has with her uh, her good friend uh, Bato after when on the um, when they're on the boat. That's probably one of the more uh, I would say what was that maybe like the more uh, philosophical discussions that they have between the two of them in terms like you know what really defines like at at this point you know with the major she's mostly cybernetic as opposed to. You know, some people who may have just, like, a couple of implants or, like, um, you know, one or two body parts that are mo- all mechanical. She is mostly, like, I think pretty much all but even maybe her brain is uh, all cybernetic. So it's, at the, you know, it's introduced at that point that she's not 100% sur- sure if she's still human at all. So she's, you know, one of the ways she tests that is uh, through the, di- you know, diving. Yeah, and, and purposely, it's it's great imagery, because she does it at sunset. And as she is uh, surfacing after her dive, um, it really, it kind of mirrors the first scene, or it makes you think about, like, amniotic fluid, mm-hmm. and, and it's a kind of birth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of symbolism in that with the Ghost in the yeah, Shell. There's, there's lots of stuff to read into if you're, and it's it's that sort of it's not a talking movie. No, I can't imagine being sat next to someone and <laughs> having a conversation as the as the film plays out. Because... Yeah, the one scene, yeah, the one the one scene that I pointed out is like one of the few like actually relatively talkative uh, scenes in the movie. Like, 
there are lots of points where there's just, like I said, there's long moments of the movie where there is no dialogue. But yeah, continue, Dan, sorry. No, the, the, you're, I think you're... I mean, you're kind of right. I mean, there's a lot of talking, I think, in the movie all round, really. The climax is mm-hmm. essentially a conversation. That's true. Um, and I I kind of... I don't know. I've, I've Having seen the series as well, I kind of feel at home when Aramaki is, uh, you know, sitting at his desk mm. and explaining the plot. Yeah. <laughs> something, something kind of um, familiar about that to me because I because you know having seen the series, um, you spend a lot of time in the office just having conversations, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of interesting that such a a huge franchise has kind of come out of a, a pretty art house yeah, movie. It it's not it's it really it's not a showstopper. Mm-hmm. It's it really um, I guess like we were saying like it's really inviting you to look inward and discover things in it and to see things which it isn't. Uh, which is to, to see the things which is alluding to, rather than things which is explicitly dealing with. Mm-hmm. Like I, with with movies like this, it, it, kind of like a they make a point of it, but the plot is impossible to follow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, if I could te- if I could tell you what government section six was or government section five was, and who this ambassador was, and who needed political refuge and all of this stuff I couldn't tell you because I got lost like trying to follow that stuff um but thankfully that's not what the movie hinges on it hinges on you just kind of drinking it in a bit yeah and I think I think the philosophy and everything I think that's that's pure Oshi bringing it to the table I think there's a bit of it in the manga I think but yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, he he absolutely. I, I think he got into animation after he saw the Jeté. Yeah, uh, the the Chris Marker film, which is, you know, a notoriously um, uh, art house sci fi movie. Really, he, he so he he basically took like a as successful sci fi franchise and just did what he wanted with it. Really. <laughs> Brilliant! Uh, I mean, not too many people get to do that. Because um, no. the other the other stuff has got a bit of you know, it's it's still got ex- exploring the what it means to be human and and uh, things like that. But it's never it's only in um, Ghost and Shell and Innocence, which is the sequel, that it's really which is great. I love. It I haven't watched that in a long time either. I'm I'm temp- it, it really sounds up, and it's really. It's impressive how after so long they managed to make a pretty spiritually close to the uh, 1995 movie. That was like, was um, that like 2002, sequel. 2001, something like that? 2002, yeah. 2002, yeah. Because um, it's just, you know, Basso hanging out at home, going to the shop every now and again with his with his... Uh, Gotta have the basset yeah. hounds if it's Mama Roshi. Right. <laughs> you got to. Um, 
so, yeah, so it's 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 kind of weird that it's such a staple of of um, like a begin like a starter yeah. kit for anime lovers because it's 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 not a uh, it's not a general audience's movie really. I th- I kind of think a lot of people just watch it and sort of go remember the action sequences and the and the oh, diving yeah. and the boom. I certainly and, did. I certainly did. And then. <laughs> yeah. And then sort of forget all the rest of it, and yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the action scenes are impressive. I mean, they they're, yeah. <laughs> they're amazing, and and also like technically going just going back to like the animation side of it, they really really pushed for realism to the extent they where did. They stopped like they they weren't watching movies to see how gunfights worked. They went to the the um the production crew went to Guam to practice firearm training. Holy so mackerel. Could, so they could understand what firearms feel like and they studied, you know, the different effects that bullets have when they hit glass and when they hit stone. And uh, you know, for instance they said uh, the production crew said, Oh, you know, usually when you hit stone, um You'd, you'd imagine if bullets were firing at uh, at stone, there would be sparks flying. But we researched it, and it turns out they don't. Uh, they just sort of make these like sort of pockets of, you know, these indentations, and um, they really push for realism. But the amazing thing I think is that um, because it is an animated film. Uh, you get a level of control that you don't get with live action. So the atmosphere is is um, is particular, and uh, you're only ever seeing exactly what Oshi wants you to see. He wants you to see um, in one moment, you know, uh, uh, what life is like in the skyscrapers or in a posh restaurant and then the next he wants you to see that from another perspective where you know everything has been shuttered up and there's a layer of fog or mist over everything and um, it, it has that that level of control that animation allows for yeah being able to go from one spot to the next and kind of give you a, before, uh, a wider view or wider scope of the world that you're now inhabiting while you're watching this movie yeah and 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 there are like images like there's a in 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 that um famous scene that happens almost exactly halfway through it's kind of like an interval um where uh you're floating along the river Mm -hmm. there are just loads of it's almost like a documentary uh within the movie uh showing you what what the world is like and uh, that amazing Kenji Kawaii score <laughs> there there's imagery like you know there's a, there's this building under construction that's just bamboo uh um uh scaffolding and it's a really striking image and uh yeah it's kind of just constantly offering you little little morsels to chew on and then it just sort of lets you sit there and chew on them and lets you take your time and it takes its time. Uh, but, I mean, it's actually quite punchy. It's like yeah, it's not minutes. long at all. <laughs> it's when 
It's under yeah. 90 minutes. It's like 82 minutes or something, really? I believe. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So at the same time, it also plays like a, like like I said, like a science science fiction short story. It's got that kind of eighty-two um, minutes feel to it. It's Amazing. funny because sometimes people say that's a long film. <laughs> I can I can kind of <laughs> compare it to what to the movies now. Uh, no, that is not very long. No. I wonder if the average shot length actually is is maybe the longest that there's ever been in animation. Um, average shot lengths being the... Across the, across the film, the average amount of time a shot lasts before there is a cut. Um, I remember reading uh, an article about average shot lengths, and even like a movie such as Raiders of the Lost Ark um, a live-action movie has a, on average, a longer shot length than a movie like Totoro. So when you look, when you look at, for instance, like Totoro next to this is an aside, like I don't know, um, but when you look at Totoro next to Raiders of the Lost Ark, on the face of it, you probably think, well, Raiders of the Lost Ark is an action movie, so the average shot length is probably. Uh, um, shorter than that of, say, Totoro, which is like a kind of gently paced family movie. But no, even in it's 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 something about animation lends itself to um, quicker shots. I think. Hmm. But, um, Oshi almost completely um, resists that urge. Um, there's the, in fact there is a shot which I'm pretty sure is just one drawing. And it's about 30 seconds long where the puppet master is talking um, using that that body from that factory that we don't hear very much about. Yeah. I, I think um, I know the scene you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really not animation as you know it. And maybe that's why, uh, Chris, we were talking about, like, why is this persisted? Maybe that's why. Because when it came out, you know the the animated movies that were coming out in 1995 in in America and, and the UK were things like Return of the Page Master <laughs> and The Lion yeah. King, and then you get Ghost in the Shell, which is unlike anything mm-hmm. to such an, to such an extent. Um, you're probably not going to forget it. No. Though it's still not quite like much else you've seen anyway. <laughs> so. That's, yeah, that's true. That's what one of it? its its primary trademarks: is the fact that it is unlike anything you've ever seen. That was kind of the nice surprise about it, and I think that's probably why Ghost in the Shell, as a franchise, has lasted because it it's constantly reinventing itself. This movie is not too is not too much like Innocence, and there's nothing like the TV series TV series. Uh, which in turn, I think, is not very much like Arise either, or the or the later um, iterations. All of which aren't very much like the manga, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 kind of weird to have all these different incarnations of it. Um, I, one thing I I I do remember, 
as well as being just confused and, and blown away as, when I was watching it when I was younger the other the other thing is I did have was being creeped out and I did find the um I did find the puppet master to be very unsettling <laughs> mm. Well, yeah, just the whole concept behind what he's doing is is very unsettling. The fact that he's just going into these, you know, going into people, just going, doing their everyday lives and going and basically hacking their brains and putting in information that never really happened or never really existed there to begin with. Just, I, I, I'm, I'm, see, that's the part where I'm always trying, trying to remember, like, was he doing this for a reason or was this just a way to figure himself out because it seemed like he was just as unsure of himself as say uh the major is in terms of whether or not she is human or machine i don't really have an answer like a definitive one but it's kind of weirdly enough watching it last night the other movie that i was thinking about the most was um Ironically, no. not Chris. Short circuit. Oh my was, god, that's a blast from the past. It, it was. Um, it was ironically a Scarlett Johansson movie. Her. Oh right. Which kind of deals with what happens when an artificial intelligence uh, finds itself on a level of intelligence and knowledge and capacity for both that is beyond a human capacity and longs for something else. Um, and I guess the puppet master is just a confused, like really just like a confused child. Like it's this thing that's been willed into existence and it doesn't understand what it is because it doesn't have a body and it doesn't have any external, really any external experiences of, of the world mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of imitating humanity but it's also not humanity and there's no place for it other than uh, you know to live on a plane slightly above that of human existence and when you consider it in those terms it's probably not surprising that it sees humanity as its plaything the same way that you know we do ants uh I think I think that's a line from The Matrix, actually. Which, ironically enough, because I do I do know this about the uh, Ghost in the Shell that I think the this film was actually was a heavy inspiration for The Matrix. Oh yeah, it's why we don't need a Ghost in the Shell movie this year because it's going to look outdated next to The Matrix. And it does. It's, it's, it's yeah, that's the ironic thing. It's always been. Well, if they ever do a Ghost in the Shell movie, people are just going to go, it's a rip off of The Matrix, and it's like. Oh. <laughs> No, the other one came first. It's just it was animated. Mm-hmm. People forget this. I'm pretty sure, actually, even down to the um, to the to the effect at the end of Ghost in the Shell, where um, the oh my god, we have to get onto the spider tank where the spider tank is shooting the um, oh yes the stone walls. The way that they become pocked with bullets is a lot like the. Um, the uh, the hallway heist in the mm-hmm. Matrix. Right. Oh gosh. Yeah, they were just we just obsessed <sighs> with Grace in the Shell, apparently. So. Yeah. Oh, definitely, <laughs> it absolutely shows. Yeah, it it shows. 
I mean, the whole... I mean, look at the intro where you're looking at the creation of uh, the cyber body in the, um, in the credits where, you, where you're getting the names of the people who worked on the film, and it's in that kind of, like, counting down, like, green text that disappears to reveal the name. Like, that's literally, like, almost identical to the... Uh, where had the the effects that they had in the intro for Ghost, not for Ghost of the Shell, um, for the Matrix too. It's infamous, yeah. kind of like green code. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's completely ripped off. It's it's um, I mean, ripped off homage, what whatever. It, it doesn't really matter because, but I think both kind of persist kind of comfortably enough. Uh, in the modern day. Spider tank. We're going to talk about spider tank. Yeah, oh, spider tank. We've got to do that. Well, okay, we've got to do it. Can we do it in the light of what an amazing achievement for animation it is? Um, the the movie. Sorry, he's credited as the weapon designer on the movie, which is, as I understand it, kind of a polite way of saying that. He did a lot of animation on the movie, and he also designed the weapons. Um, a guy called Mitsuo Iso, who is, I mean, for my money, like one of the best animators currently working today. I think he's kind of working. He's he's working and teaching at the moment, and um, he is responsible for pretty most of the finale scene, where. Uh, the major faces off against um, who she thinks is the puppet master, but turns out to be the puppet master in the body of a sort of uh, uh, spider tank. And um, apparently, when uh, Iso was animating this, he he ca- legend has it that he captured a spider and took it to his desk. And lots of, um, he was in like the floor above a few other people and lots of banging and crashing was heard. (laughs) He was sort of trying to reenact the crazy erratic movement of the spider that he captured and figure out how that would translate to, um, a mechanical spider. And I don't know, for my money it paid off because it moves in in a really creepily erratic fashion uh, and the whole scene is just oh, we've called it an art movie but it's amazing action that scene yeah like whatever action shots when they were first like what we were discussing before when they were when they, when this movie was first being filmed, like, hey, how's that, uh, you know, up to par with the Kira, uh, you know, film going? It's like, oh, here's some of the finished animation and stuff. Oh, <laughs> this looks like a great action movie. Look at this. Like, th- this seems like one of those scenes, like, they would, they would have sent over to, like, hide all, like, oh, this is really more of a philosophical movie. Yeah. But this, yeah, this was a really intense, really well animated, uh, action scene. Not just, you know, like you said, um, with the characters involved, but also this really, unique designed weapon which like you said moves very erratically and to the point where it's like you don't know which way it's going to go or 
if it's going to catch on to where the major is, or if it's like going to take her out. It's, it's very threatening. Yeah, it's really threatening, and it's kind of、uh, like thematically relevant that what she faces off against is something which is decidedly not human、mm-hmm. in its movements and its supposed,、uh, you know, thought processes and certainly its ability. Mm-hmm. Is beyond that. It's it's like a it's a weapon. It's not it's not anything which、um, which human would associate themselves with.、Mm-hmm. Really.、Uh, so you know it's it's philosophically and thematically like in line with the rest of the movie, and I mean even more so when you consider that the the climax of this scene is a conversation. Yeah, we go from a big giant action sequence. You know, people are shot. You know, limbs are torn off, and it's you know mass carnage, and then you know mass robotic carnage, and then at the end of it all, it just the the real like res- resolution to the situation is just you needed to talk to it. You needed to talk to the puppet master. <laughs> He just wanted someone to chat with. Just wanted a word. It's like I've been trying to talk to you guys this entire movie. <laughs> Now we finally get a chance to actually speak to one another, and I'm like, I'm not that bad, really. You just have to get to know me. But but there's still、um, the film is playing on another level at that point, where usually in an action movie, when your hero, you know, seems to have her limbs torn, and you know. Uh, uh, re- rendered like a, a floppy corpse, essentially, you know, a limbless corpse on the ground. You're like you're feeling a different way about that hero. You're feeling, oh no, they're dead. They're gone forever. But in this movie, there's a strange feeling of, you know, does this matter to her? Is this a What, what, what no, it's like she's even with it's damaged as you know as you know with all the you know injuries she's sustained. No, she's still going. It's like just hook me up to just hook me up to the puppet master. We need to just, talk. Just bung me in the toaster for a bit. Or dude, <laughs> when, when I was watching it last night, the only thing I could think of was it's going to be so expensive to get rebuilt. <laughs> and, and section nine, are they going to pay for that? I don't think so. Is this an occupational hazard? Does this count as? Does this, Does this count as medical? Yeah, yeah. Is this covered under her insurance? Exactly. It's、Is、like it? these are important questions of this movie. Inward thinking that the movie、uh, <laughs> makes you makes you do leads you, leads you to think these things.、Uh, but but there's a, sorry, Chris. But one of the cool things about the story, about the film, is the lack of backstory. There's no,、yes. no need、yeah. to explain、uh, Major's backstory, or whatever. Which is, I think, something I realised early on with the live-action movie. I was like, oh, they're going to have to, they're going to try and explain. Oh, what's the story behind the major? Oh, what's the story? And like, no, that's not the point. We don't need don't one. That's not the point. <laughs> Well, I I think to, to 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 be fair to that movie, I don't I don't know why you would, but to be fair to it, 
I, th- I think a lot of movies have a problem with thinking that backstory is inherently interesting. Uh, it, it's not. It's no. It, it's not, and and it's kind of it, kind of like the best horror movies as well. Think of something like Blair Witch, the original Blair Witch Project. The fact that there's so little uh, of substance and, and, and information in that movie, or or stuff that is explained, is what keeps you going back and what keeps it alive. The mystery of what happened, where did these people go, is is um, is kind of retained in in Ghost in the Shell in the, in its ending, where uh, Makoto uh, merges with the puppet master. And you're left wondering, like, what sort of things are they talking about? What, what, what's their existence like? If, if they're, if, if a supposed humanoid, uh, like cyborg has, has, has merged with what seems to be an entirely artificial intelligence, what, what's born of that? And it's a, it's, it's, that, that for me was the part that kind of also felt like a, a science fiction novella. It's the sort of thing where, you know, when you finish reading science fiction stories, you're left chewing on something, mm-hmm. and then you walk around the rest of the day thinking, oh, "What really is that?" It's like, what, what, what does that mean? What does, what do I think of that concept? Yeah. And and not to, well, not to spoil the movie if you haven't seen it yet, but this that ending is really surprisingly similar to um, that of her. The uh, Spike Jones movie. Hmm. I don't really remember how that ended. <laughs> it ended with uh, spoilers. A... Spoilers. Spoilers for her from about five for years. Her. Ago. <laughs> um, it ended with an artificial intelligence ascending to a higher plane of uh, of of experience and understanding uh, beyond that of of her of her human uh, lover. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, and that's kind of how that's kind of where this movie leaves us it leaves us with a question of you know what 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 is Makoto now is she is she human or is she dancer <laughs> <laughs> oh man I actually got that well <laughs> took me a minute but I got it and uh, and kind of in in in, in, in quite an, in, in quite an on the nose um, move, she's transplanted into the body of um, of of a young of a young girl. So it's kind of yeah, that was appropriate. Well, it's it's kind of asking you the question, um, you know, to, to what extent is she innocent? To what extent is she? Um, getting like a childhood that she never got, sort of. That's kind of how I read it, at least. I read it as like it's more of a new beginning for both her and the puppet master as this new entity that whatever they are now, it's a right. way for them to both kind of have something that the other had, you know, and experiencing it both together in a way. And just like, okay, well, now we're this, so what's next? Yeah. Yeah, and it kind of it 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 ought to be alarming that the protagonist is essentially merged with 
uh, without the, the so that the, the, the protagonist and the villain have sort of merged, but that's kind of where the film leaves it. Is is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? Yeah, then it never really makes it completely obvious. Like, okay, the puppet master has done some pretty bad things, but is it truly evil? Like, is it something that you know? Like, like, is it just as, you know, like you said, is it it's just like a lost child that just is looking for its place in the world, just kind of like the Major is looking for her place in the world because she doesn't feel like she belongs in, any, in it anymore. Yeah, and, and also I, I guess I, I, I certainly thought, like, if something, would something of a higher intelligence have pity for humankind? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a dark little movie, really. Yeah, it, it's it's... A sign of, like you said, it's an art house film. It really makes you, like, it, it takes you into this world and it really makes you think. So that by the time the credits are rolling, you're kind of still contemplating what it was trying to say. To the point that you're going to come to a multitude of different conclusions as to what certain scenes or certain actions in the film, what it truly meant for, mm-hmm. a, you know, a character or what it meant for the story. And, you know, you're, you're going to, like, like we're doing right now, we're kind of, like, you know, going through different points of the film that, you know, stick out to us the most trying to, like, kind of piece it together, and it's just, it's... None of it's really the right answer. I mean, yeah. no one's going to know that other than, like, you know, whatever the filmmakers, you know, what they thought when they were making this, but still, it's... That's part of the fun of films like this, is that you're able to, like, break it down. You know, it's... Everyone's going to have different interpretations of it, and that's what makes it so fun. Mm, and those... I think those sorts of films last. I think... Is it... I, I, I might be reacting in a... I might just be playing wrong about this, but it seems like this movie also has something of a, um, I don't know what you call it, the Star Trek effect, where science fiction presents uh, a vision of the future, and then because our idea of how the future ought to be based on science fiction is, we begin to play that out. So... Uh, kind of basically how Star Trek did it with communicators and, um, you know, what we now call smartphones. Mm-hmm. It's, they're not a million miles apart. And it seems like movies like Ghost in the Shell uh, present an image of the future in a way that we can grasp and therefore is probably going to be the most likely future for us when it comes to merging uh, technology and and biology. Yeah, kind of like uh, science fiction uh, fortune-telling, I would guess, would you say, or like basically giving an idea like, okay, this is, this is a possibility for us. This is, if, you know, a... A likelihood that if we continue to pursue technology like the way we have been, something like this could very well be possible. That's that's you know in both the positive and negative uh, sense. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, it's definitely it definitely strikes me as one of those movies that's like it's it the the world it's presenting. You know, in terms of technology, is not a hundred percent out of the question because I mean, considering how. Humanity and technology has, you know, evolved thus far, especially, like you said, with the, you know, the fact that we now have, we can communicate and see the person who we're talking with, their faces over, like, a great, you know, distance, like, almost like on the other side of the world. Mm. 
And, you know, that's, you know, like, the, it's like you said, the Star Trek communicators or the, um, like, the Jetson video phones. Like, you know, that, that's something that was once considered very much science fiction, but now it's been made reality. So it's, it, now it's like, okay, well, how is technology going to push it from here? And will we see something like the, uh, the cybernetic bodies that we see, or enhancements that we see in mm. Ghost in the Shell, somewhere down the line. Mm. Yeah, I think, I, guess- we, I think we need to reach that first before we have to start having the um, a lot of the the you know coming back to those philosophical uh, ideas and really exploring I, I them in our own. Ever, I don't think it's ever too early to start having those thoughts. That's fair. Because uh, then you can prevent, uh, you know, the the <laughs> the Jurassic Park, you know. Yeah. Could and should um, arguments from happening, and you, life finds you, a way and all that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's um, it's kind of it's kind of unsettling stuff to talk about, but it I, is. I, but it's still I, important. I guess in that sense, yeah. But I guess in that sense, it kind of hasn't aged. It's kind of presenting a future which we haven't quite reached yet. Um, mm-hmm. Just within reach, but not quite yet. I think it's, it's at least with the way yeah. that the the world that they presented to us. Like a, one of the like, remember we were talking earlier about one of those the scenes where we were seeing a lot of the different like the the grunginess of this like futuristic world. Um, you know, it's like certain aspects like we relate to imagery like that because you know there are those you know despite all the enhancements that we still have today, there is still a lot of areas of like different cities like really high tech cities that are still very grungy and you know. Not as pristine. Well, it's, it's, it's a it's a direct result. I think mm-hmm. you, you can't um, uh, you you can't um, you know I, I've 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 been to cities in Asia where there are slums right like literally right around the corner from a giant skyscraper with um, designer boutiques on the on on the ground floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it, 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 it it's happening. So, the movie is commenting on the world that we're living in, but I think it's 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 kind of it's kind of like a cautionary tale, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, but it's yeah. I mean, there there. I mean, th- thankfully, there are cheerier um, versions of this future. Standalone complex mm-hmm. is kind of the world that you want to live in. The mm-hmm. one where you've got all the fun of the fair and not. Not too much of the of the the slummy hell. Where uh, the spider tanks are adorable. The spider <laughs> tanks are adorable, and your deceased son might might come back and you know have some. Now that's weird. It's weird, but I, that whenever whenever I think of standalone complex, that's the story which stands out for me the most. Do you remember that episode, Chris? Now you say it, yes, but I had forgotten about it. I I haven't watched it in a while. Ah, uh, it's it's a great series. I think. I mean, kind of moving away from the movie now. I I, I think I prefer the series to the. Oh, movie. it's my. It is my favorite. I I love Ghost in the Shell as a whole. The franchise. Yeah. yeah. And I do love the movie, but my favorite incarnation is Standalone Complex. I, th- right. I think that's actually quite a popular opinion. Quite a common opinion. Yeah, because yeah, it, it is good. Enter- it's more entertaining. 
yeah. It's it's more entertaining, and you also get, like, you get just as much bang for your buck when it comes to uh, thoughtful, philosophical Mm -hmm. stories. And it's got an amazing soundtrack by Yoko Kano. Yes, it does. Uh, That's actually, like, I have yet to really fully seen see Standalone Complex. I know that's after seeing this movie. That's something I very much want to do. But um, I actually heard the soundtrack long before I actually uh, I, I, you know, I had the chance to see uh, Standalone Complex because I love Yoko Kano's work. Mm-hmm. So I actually heard the soundtrack well before you know seeing the show. And uh, just by listening to the soundtrack, I'm just like, oh, man, this sounds great. I want to go. I need to go see this as soon as possible. I need to stop putting it off. <laughs> It's a really satisfying series, and it's and it's really, um, I, I think, pretty smart in how it. Um, I remember it was structured. It had standalone stories and yeah. complex episodes. Yes, which is interesting. Which is, an, which is an idea which I think you might start to see come around as more and more, um, like TV shows are released. Uh, like in batches, like for binge watching, um, I think you might start to see that. I wouldn't be surprised if you start to see that trend come back, where um, a show's format can withstand standalone stories and serialized ones as well. All right. I get, I guess the only thing I can think of that actually does something similar is Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Hmm. Um, but yeah, the series is is amazingly satisfying. Watching, I guess it. The, the, I guess obviously because it's a TV show, it doesn't quite have the production values of of the um, of the movie. But it does a it damn good. good job, and it, it does look good. good. I mean, for it's it's top end TV production. Mm-hmm. It's production IG. They're just yeah, they are a quality operation. Um. I mean, Arise is very good looking as well. Uh, mm. It's not the best incarnation. <laughs> it's. In I, I missed Arise. I, I don't know why it didn't appeal to me because oh, some of the original uh, animators who worked on the first movie were back on that. A lot of people just didn't like it based on the designs and stuff, like a younger major and things like that. And everyone's younger, and it's like it starts off before she's part of Section Nine. It's like a, a reboot. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's weird. Well, part of the appeal with with the major is the fact that she is, you know, like, c- compared certainly to a lot of other anime characters, a mature woman, someone who, who is, um, yeah, I guess, <laughs> you know, d- dealing with what mature people deal with, which is like, who am I, and what does that mean to uh, compared with like, how I live and all these philosophical questions which I guess are much better suited to maturer mm-hmm. characters I mean it, it's still entertaining and actually it's got more sort of more of a sort of detectives um, show feel to it really that's cool oh you mean a rise yeah okay well I guess some parts of standalone complex do is mm-hmm. for it's, it's basically a police procedural yeah but sci-fi kind of well, they sort of ramp up that in the rise. Um, oh, it's so good! And I forgot, like it has the, the Tachikoma yeah. shorts and Tachikoma all all the way peppered through it. 
And Touchy-coma. I'm trying to think, well, what is they're that? The they're they're the that's what the, that's what the spiders spy- are called. Okay, I, just, I did not know this. But they have AI. And, they, and they're adorable. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really curious now, like, even more so than I already was. Like, okay, how can you make that spider tank cute? How? Oh, they, they, how? They, they have a... Um, they have a short uh, Tachikoma Days attached to the end of most episodes where the Tachikoma um, kind of explain the philosophical themes that are running through episodes. Really? Yeah, they kind of play them out in miniature. Huh. It's, 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 a, it's a really kick-ass TV show. <laughs> Which is kind of why I'm so pumped for its kind of return. Mm-hmm. I will have to... I, hopefully before that comes out, I will have the opportunity to uh, sit down and watch Standalone Complex so then I can get back to you guys about my reaction to it, because it's... Oh, yeah. It's definitely due re- rewatch for me. I, need, <laughs> I, I still have... I haven't... I've never actually finished up season second gig. Chris? I know, it's crazy. <laughs> me too. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Yeah. I uh, for some reason, Individual Eleven didn't have quite the hook as Laughing Man for me. No. Yeah. I, Those I, are great names, by the way. Yeah, they're the um, stories of the, and they're also the names of. There's like movie edits of both of them as well. Their storylines, Laughing Man oh, and Individual oh, really? Eleven. Yeah. Oh, I haven't checked those out. And there is also a standalone complex movie, as well. Hmm. There's too much ghost in the shell, guys. There is. I mean, it's it's considering how like it, where where would you say a ghost in the shell officially begins? Like in terms of like this was obviously like one of the first like animated features in regards to the material. But was it? It started as a manga or a, like yeah. a book first. It, it begins in 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 the 1600s when Descartes <laughs> started musing <laughs> on the existential nature of existence. Or it started in the eighties with the manga. <laughs> All right, that's fair. Um, Probably in the 80s, yeah. But yeah, it's like I mean, obviously the manga existed first, but I think with the, this movie, like, I don't think that if this movie hadn't existed, it probably wouldn't have gotten like the, like the the boon from like of popularity that it would no, that yeah. would have result would have resulted in the these follow up series. But it's it's cool. It's good when something you know. When popularity has you know given to something, gives it an opportunity to grow even further, and it has grown, and has, it has given it a lot of staying power over the years, and that's you know for more gen- generations to get into it and learn from its you know its story and its messages, or read into the make their own interpretations of it. So that's really, really fortunate to have happened to this series. There was a PlayStation game as well. I don't know if it was PlayStation Two or. It was PlayStation. Oh, the original PlayStation. Wait a minute. Spider Tank. Um, I do I, I vaguely remember playing that? I I I remember also there was a um there was an opening that was really nicely animated. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that right? Yes. I feel like I've I feel like I might have played this game, but I'm also afraid I might be getting it confused with something else that was relatively inspired by Ghost in the Shell. Oh, are you thinking by any chance? Are you thinking of that game that when when you got a PS2 and you headed to uh, game or electronic boutique or wherever you get your games from? Um, there was like one game that was pre-owned. 
and for some reason there are like 30 copies of it and it's called Oni. Oh. That's the one. That's the one I'm getting that? confused with. I thought, yeah, I thought you might be because I think I think I bought that because it looked a little bit like what I thought Ghost in the Shell was. <laughs> and it was like the, the game that game. tricked you into thinking it was Ghost in the Shell and it was The wasn't. game that tricked you into thinking like it was half decent. Um, <laughs> disappointing worth, game. No, that yeah, believe me, I have seen I myself and mostly my brother because he was the one who was really big into uh, Ghost in the Shell when it was out, and um, he he got this for the exact reason. I was watching him; and he was telling me all about it, and like, I don't think this is Ghost in the Shell. He's like, <laughs> Oh my god, what a blast from the past! But I think it was the only game that, uh, like, <laughs> when I went to uh, to buy a game after having actually finally got on a PS2. It was the only one I could afford. Because <laughs> it was about eight quid, like, pre-owned. Yeah, it was a relatively inexpensive yeah. game to rent, oh. but the, the reason for that is the fact that it was very poorly designed. But at oh. the very least, it had a certain aesthetic to it that was reminding, was reminiscent of something that was much better. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I think that tangent is probably a good, way, a good way to leave off the discussion on Ghost of the Shell, unless there's anything else or final thoughts you guys want to get out before we wrap up today's episode. Nope, I think that's a good no. time to log off the topic. Yep, <laughs> time to, time to <laughs> log off the net. We're going to... What are you about to say? <laughs> Jack, we've, we've jacked in. I thought we said that at the beginning when we were starting the well, conversation. Now so we're logging off. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know, you, I know what you're saying. We're, we're, we're logging off the net and we're going to be, we're just going to take a stroll over to the water cooler and maybe we'll just have a, we'll wrap up today's episode with a few things that we've uh, done this week. Um, I guess coming off that uh, very, you know, uh, coming off Ghost in the Shell, the, uh, some, what I've had the ch- chance to, um, not only play but finish in terms of the video game world that has roughly similar themes to uh, Ghost in the Shell in the terms of, you know, robots or AI um, mimicking humanity would be uh, a little game called Near Automata that came out earlier. I think it was just this, um, I think it started March at the end of February. Uh, I've played the game so many times at this point, I've kind of lost track of when it came out because. Part of the the thing with this game is that it's um, the story is set. You're playing a android that's modeled, you know, that's been created as a model of humanity, which has fled to the moon because of an alien invasion. Um, who they set their own machines to try and fight the hum- humanity's uh, androids, and basically Earth has become a battleground. And you're playing as one of these androids and her partner. And as you, you know, explore this conflict and seeing, you know, basically, you know, getting into the underbelly of like, okay, why, what's really going on? This is what we're told is going on. What is really going on? And, um, the only other thing I can say about the plot is that it's a Yoko Taro game and it's very, very weird. 
as a result. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with Yoko Taro or um, the video games he's made, but they can get really strange. Mm. I'm not familiar with his games, actually. Uh, I think they're, they're definitely worth looking into. I mean... The only ones I've had experience with as of right now are the Nier games. I know that the Drakengard games came before. Oh, hang on. Is your guitar, is he the guy who wears, like, the sort of Frank Sidebottom? Yeah, he, he's, he always comes into, like, press conferences or, you know, ever, like, public appearance. He always has something over his face. He never will show his face. Okay. Yeah, most the, the mask he, you normally see him wearing nowadays is he's wearing a, a mask that's shaped after, uh, one of the faces of a character, one of the characters from the Nier games, uh, by the name of Emil. And it's like this really, like, kind of like skeleton, almost skeleton-looking face. But, um, I, it's, it's, as far as, um, in regards to Nier, since those are the only two, uh, Yokotar games that I've ever experienced playing, um, one of the things we were really excited about when, uh, the sequel was announced was the fact that Nier, the original Nier had a relatively pretty darn good story, but it the game itself, um, I had to think it was at a relatively low budget, so the gameplay wasn't really all that inventive, or at least, you know, it was didn't really do anything different other than the traditional hack and slash, but one of the things that, you know, Nier Automata was a step away from, or a big chance for uh, um, Yoko Taro to really kind of get right, was the fact that they had uh, Platinum Games come in and do the actual, like, gameplay design for the, um, for Nier Automata, which really gave it a lot of variety. Like, you can go from one point from running and hacking and slashing robots to all of a sudden you're running through the same area, but the, the camera has moved to the side, to the side, so you're, all of a sudden you're in a, like, a side-scrolling area, and then you can go from that to a top-down, uh, shooter where you're flying your mobile flight unit. And it just keeps kind of going back and forth to a multiple uh, different like gameplay styles, so it's always varied and keeps you guessing as to what it's going to switch to next, depending on the situation. But it, it's it's there's a lot of cre- creativity, in not just the storytelling and the um, the animation's pretty good too. There's a lot of uh, it's it's a dystopian future, you know, where you're seeing Earth as it was, you know, after this, these alien robots came down and basically tore everything up. But ah, it's it's it's. I'm trying to figure out where to like, go from there. It's like I had a thought and then it just went out of my head because this is what happens when I rant. <laughs> it keeps you guessing. I guess that's one of the things. Like not just the visually, it keeps you guessing in the storytelling sense. It also keeps you guessing in just in terms of how you play the game. It's like it's. I think that's probably the most like identifying factor in a Yoko Taro game. You never know what the hell is going to happen. And that's part of the reason why you play, is to just kind of see how, you know, in one way or another, that the game is going to throw you off your guard. I mean, I remember my first experience with the first Nier. Like, the game literally opens up with this a very angry woman screaming at one of the uh, characters, which you have yet to meet, like, in a very, like, angry... Like, you know, she's swearing every other word, like, she's swearing like a sailor, and that's literally, like, you're, and you're not, there aren't any visuals set to this, it's just a blank screen, and, like, the context of the situation, you'd have no idea or understand, but this is what your, this is your introduction to the story, and the characters, it's like, um, what the heck did I just get into? (laughs) But it was, I I think the creativity that was, I uh, found in Nier Automata 
was definitely worth exploring. So if anyone's kind of like, you know, feel like certain like gameplay elements have gotten really stale or just need like a breath of fresh air or a change of pace, get near Automata. It's 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 going to be a fun time. If you're you're going to question a lot of things, like I said, like you're you're not going to understand entirely what's going on much like Ghost in the Shell. But okay. it's it's definitely worth exploring and worth playing if you have a PlayStation 4 or have, I think it, it might be able to play on the PC too. But that's the system that I got it for. And that was that was basically what I was able to do this past week. So, uh, who who would like to go next? I, I could go. All right. <laughs> uh, I'll, try keep, I'll, I'll try and keep it brief. Um, I I did have a rewatch of my... Well, I watched for the second time, first time on Blu-ray, uh, Moana this past week. Um, yeah! I love this movie, as you already <laughs> know. It's so pretty, and I love the characters and the music, and it's also and it's such a ah makes me so happy. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> all I have to say about that. Um, and I also watched a film called Sold Station, uh, which is an interesting film because it is uh, a companion piece to a live-action movie uh, called Train to Busan. Um, mm. which is a South Korean zombie movie that came out last year um, and it's that oh yeah I want to watch that very much and I had a day last week when I watched Train to Busan and I watched um, Soul Station within within the same day so and the interesting thing is that they are both directed by the same guy Um he is actually better known... He's spent most of his career in animation. Um, and Train to Busan was a rare live-action movie for him. And it's... Is it the guy who did My Life as a Pig? Yes. Ah. Sang Ho Yen. Uh, he's the writer-director who did, who did Train to Busan and Soul Station. Um, and they are both stories that happen during a zombie apocalypse um, and Train to Busan as you may guess from the title takes place mainly on a train from Seoul to Busan uh, which is a name that uh, you may have heard recently because um, it was that where that guy was when he was being interviewed and his his kids burst in on <laughs> yeah he was in Busan um, that's no nothing to do with anything but um <laughs> it Train to Busan is a really exciting movie and it's one of the best zombie movies I've seen in years and it's got oh wow it's got really exciting sequences that kind of they they are do kind of do the thing that um uh, World War Z tried to do and didn't do very well um Huh. With the sort of swarms of zombies, but they do it on on a train and they do it really effectively, and it's got some nice little creepy moments as well, like when they go inside a tunnel and then they realise that um, the, the zombies can't hear them or see them, so when it goes dark, they have to sneak past them. It's really cool. Um, oh wow! Well, a soul station is um, set. Um, mainly in around the train station in Seoul um, and also features zombies 
um, but it is um, it's quite different because uh, it's interest. It's sort of street level, and it's dealing with characters. So it, w- one of the characters is like a teenage runaway, um, and there's a pimp, and there's there's homeless people and things like that as characters. So it's really um, quite different, and it's it doesn't look like anime. Um, it's it's kind of I think mm. it's done with um, like cell shaded sort of 3D look um, but they they look it looks more like 2D apart from when you see it move and then you sort of see that unmistakable look of that CG look that kind of does it, some people can't get over it and it, it kind of uh, looks a bit jerky in places but it looks pretty good for the most part I thought and the zombies um, that actually worked for the zombies the sort of jerkiness of the animation um, and yeah it's it's a proper adult animation um, and it's got some interesting um, like commentary I think social commentary about Korean society and stuff that you don't really necessarily understand because you're not Korean but it's like oh I can see he's trying to say something and uh, there are zombies and there's some, there's like a cool central character, and there's a really awesome ending, and uh, it's just interesting to what like watch two films done by the same bloke, but so one's which animated one and would one. You recommend first. Uh, I don't know. It's it's weird weird to answer really because um, this was sold as a prequel to Train to Busan, and it came out second, but I think he was sort of working on them concurrently. So it doesn't really matter, <laughs> to be honest. Um, okay. It's really, it's really amazing that a companion piece is like a full yeah, I know. movie. Because usually when this sort of thing happens, it's like a half-hour special that they find some excuse to release mm-hmm. on DVD. Yeah, but this is full, but like full on. It's full, full yeah. bloody thing. So if you want, Clever yeah. Clock. So if you want to know more about that, you can read my review on the web- or website. <clears throat> <laughs> Sorry, I said I said my life is a pig. That film I'm thinking about is called King yeah. of Pigs. I knew it had pig in it, so I just said yes. <laughs> 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 I haven't actually seen it. Um, Nor have I. I remember it was at Annecy uh, when I went. Um, I got a few things I want talking about. All right, fire away. Um, one thing. Um. I'm I'm gonna start a feud with um with Mark with uh <laughs> with Mark <laughs> because um because you you know a silent voice is damn good and I kind of preferred it to your name as well. Hmm. I really enjoyed a silent voice. It was a really surprising, um, entertaining, well-made movie about teenagers and um, I thought it had some really nice observations and um, really satisfying, surprising turns and a conclusion and I cried, I cried more than your name because I didn't wow. quite answer your name and um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed A Silent Voice So and that had like a really limited UK release I think it was it was played the, the cinema I saw it in. It was like a one night only thing, um, 
but I'm glad I went for that one night because it was it was brilliant. And um, I subsequently found out that it's directed by um, uh, Naoko Yamada, uh, who's who's a uh, an animator, an animation director who who started at uh, Kyoto Animation, and she directed uh, K-On and the K-On movie. Uh, so I was probably already on some level uh, 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 predisposed to, to like her stuff because I, I used to enjoy watching K-On and I have seen the K-On movie uh, which is of course where <laughs> of course comes, comes, comes from yeah um, <laughs> but yeah A Sign of Voice uh, is like an adaptation of, of a manga and um, it didn't feel too much like an adaptation to me Uh I, it's it was a really yeah I was really surprised by how much I enjoyed it really um, it's it has got um, basically I think the problem that Mark had with it is that the film deals with quite a few unlikable people mm-hmm. um, and I think the film is fully aware of just how unlikable. Uh, its protagonist actually is. Um, and if you can get over that, and if you can... It's, I don't think it, you're asked to forgive him um, or anything like that. But if you can get over that, there's a very compelling story to be told about uh, forgiveness, essentially, and um, what effects uh, your actions have on changing people profoundly uh, mm. I really enjoyed it and I think it's uh, if if um, yeah if, if your name wasn't your cup of tea uh, hang on for a silent voice because it might be what you're looking well, for I have to say I think your opinion uh, is more along the lines of the consensus on that film it's it's generally been well, really? very well received Okay, it's just great. Mark did not enjoy it. <laughs> Fair yeah. news. Fair news. Is, I, mean, I mean, yeah, I could, I, to, uh, to a certain extent, I could understand, like, especially, like, if you if you can't get over that hump, it's like, okay, there's some really, like, bad stuff happening on screen right now. It's like, and it's being perpetrated by the main characters. Like, you know, well, if, you, if you can't or can't forgive that, then that's, you know, that's obviously yeah. going to be your big problem with the movie. I think it's actually to do with the aftermath. It's, it's not so much the, the actions themselves, which would be uh, quote-unquote like, triggering. It's more uh, the very... I, I guess essentially sometimes films have to deal with the way things really are rather than the way you think things ought to play out in a just society. And mm-hmm. the truth is we don't actually live in a just world. So sometimes a film's job of just simply reflecting uh, awful situations back at you um, can be quite a powerful um, experience. And uh, I quite like challenges like that as a, mm-hmm. as a viewer, essentially. Um, you don't have to like the characters, but you, I think you're allowed to find them compelling. Yeah. And I, and I certainly did. And... Um, I think another thing that, that Mark mentioned was that it was 
slightly too anime for its own good. Um, that that is to say, I mean, it's all you know. It deals in cliches. It's got yeah, cherry blossom all over its poster, and it's um, uh, you know about an exchange student and no, 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 not exchange student, a new girl, and um, it's 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 certainly um, I don't know what the word is. It feels pop, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. It feels like. But it feels like a film for its target audience, which is which is teenagers, and I don't think there's anything wrong with a with a movie um, being a bit of pop, really. When when that's its audience, so yeah, I really enjoyed the Silent Voice. And cool, really recommend it. Um, All right. I don't know where it's headed next. I think it's got a release in the US yeah. in the summer. Nice. I think I might. I might try and take a look and see if I'm yeah. if, which which camp I fall in. Yeah. So uh, I guess that's that's a bit of catch up. Um, otherwise, from that, I've not really been watching much. I watched um, obviously the season premiere of Rick and Morty, season three, which dropped in a weird sort of April Fools. Yeah, non- I wasn't expecting non- that. Non joke, uh, uh, which is. Just yeah, a I massive could watch it, but I'm... for the full season, which is dropping in the summer, I think. Yeah, it's uh, coming out later. Yeah, so we'll leave discussion for that. I mean, I, I think I'm allowed to say it's awesome and it's very good and it doesn't disappoint. It's Rick and Morty. Let's just say it, it's yeah. it's still very much Rick and Morty. So if you like what Rick and Morty has been up until this point, this I is have... just more of that. Maybe yeah, even I mean, a little more up to the, up, upping I the ante a little got, bit. I've just got the season one yeah. Blu-ray. Uh, I've imported the because um, you can't get it in the UK. I had to Im- no the American one, the Australian uh, one. Yeah. And um, oh, okay. I've been working my way through the special features and the commentaries and stuff, which are a lot of fun. Yes. Yeah, the commentaries are great. So I recommend that. Yeah. That too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then apart from that I've been watching Samurai Jack which has been just going from strength to strength um, I think almost kind of like Rick and Morty like they probably um, which is also an adult swim show I get the feelings that the creators were like okay well let's try this and see what the network thinks and then now they're just it, they're just at the point where it's it's a beautiful riff, which is telling a compelling story at the same time, but also being um, really uh, like creative and how it's depicting things. Like the last episode reminded me of something that you'd see in like a Masaki Yuasa. Oh of. yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm really enjoying Samurai Jack. I think that's that's really exciting. Um, especially since like it's all being storyboarded and written by and directed by Gendy Tartakovsky, so it's it's um it's like the purest but most natural sort of. There's a strange. I've also been watching a bit of Dexter's Lab as well, <laughs> and there is you can tell it's the same guy. Like he's got his same sort of um, tendencies and. And his style is still kind of preserved in Samurai Jack. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess it's, 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 whereas opposed to in Dexter's Lab, it was really more just for 
comedy, which I mean, he Gendy is really good at comedy, and you mm. know, Dexter's Lab is proof of that. But it's Samurai Jack was an experience to not just have comedy because there is definitely yeah. comedy in Samurai Jack, but it was really also another way to tell a very just like it's, I guess more of an unusual but very like you know action yeah. uh, focused I, I story. Skill, I think the skill you're talking about is just one of entertainment. Yep. Whether you can keep an audience entertained and involved in something, be it comedy or, you know, a story about a full-on hero uh, in the mold of, like, an old legend or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even yeah. after so many years of the show not being on air, the fact that, you know, after, you know, coming... A, it coming back at all was amazing in and of itself, but the fact that it's kind of been welcomed back with open arms has kind of been really, really inspiring. Oh, yeah. It's it's like it's never been away. It's, mm-hmm. it's but and um, But, I mean, but that said, they've also, you know, um, really pushed the designs and, and done some new interesting things with it. They've not just taken a... a defibrillator to... Uh, <laughs> defibrillator, whatever those things are called. Yeah, yeah, you got it. The electric paddles <laughs> to uh, to an old corpse. They've they've imbued it with like a new life and mm-hmm. yeah, it's exciting, exciting stuff. But I'll save I'll save really talking about that properly. Yeah, until, we're we're gonna save. We're probably we're, we've been talking about this a little bit off the air, but we'll we'll see at some point when the when the series has finally had its full run that maybe we can uh, we can have a full length discussion once we've all seen it. So keep an eye out for that. If you want to see or if you want to, you know, hear us talk about that at some point, please, you know, let us know in our on our social media via Twitter, Facebook, um, wherever you happen to follow Animation for Adults. Just please just drop us a line and let us know if you really want to see us see us cover that or hear us cover that. So, yeah, as I guess that more or less wraps up today's episode. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. It's- uh-huh. Really enjoyed talking about the Ghost in the Shell with you guys, especially. And I'm I'm definitely gonna move uh, Standalone Complex up in the list of stuff that I need to watch. Because especially with the the you know the movie at the moment, I will see that eventually, and I will make sure to give you guys uh, the thumbs up, the thumbs down, or middle of the road review at some point. But we'll for the moment we're just gonna enjoy the fact that both the 1995 film and the uh, spinoffs that have resulted from it have all been really entertaining and have meant a lot for the world of animation and anime in general. So, again, thanks everyone for joining us for today's episode. If you want to look at our previous episodes, you can go to animationforadults.com or you can find our episodes on podcast.com, iTunes, and Stitcher. If you'd like to follow what's going on in uh, just in the general Animation for Adults stuff, we've um, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Pinterest.com, Tumblr, um, and Instagram. Uh, and if you would like to kind of support us and be able to help us, uh, you know, produce more ep- uh, podcast episodes or new content, please visit our Patreon page, which we'll include a link in the show notes. Or you can, uh, if you don't have that much money to spend, just buy us a cup of virtual coffee. Uh, the link for that site will also be included in the, uh, the show notes. Um, Chris, where can we follow you on social media? Uh, Mr. Christo on Twitter and Facebook. All right, very good. Dan? You can find me on Twitter at Hamu. 
and you can follow me. I'm you, I'm mostly on Twitter, so you'll find me at Fail2Ninja. All right. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us for this episode of the AFA Podcast, and we will see you next time. Take care. Bye. Bye. Sergeant. What's all this? With all the time I've been home, I put in a Zen garden. What an amazing place to balance your chi. It is. And with a personal loan from PenFed, I was able to borrow the entire cost, up to $50,000, at a great low rate with no hidden fees and a simple pre-qualify. But you're not in the military. Everyone gets great rates at PenFed, whether you're in uniform or not. I feel more enlightened already. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org loans. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCOA. I haven't really woken up until I've had my McDonald's breakfast deal. And I know this is true because before breakfast, I put my phone in the refrigerator and couldn't find the keys that were already in my hand. Nothing gets the morning going like the first sip of an iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. McDonald's. I'm loving it.